When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, what's up, Geekscapists? Welcome to a brand new Geekscape episode. If this is your first Geekscape, well, where have you been? Uh, we're sitting here in quarantine. I've been uh, live streaming the show out of Heidi's apartment. So uh, I want to give you guys a little life update for those of you who've either just joined Geekscape for the first time or have been with us all those years from the beginning. Um, I moved in. So <laughs> this stuff right here, this look at look behind me, this like butterfly and fairy thing that that's actually like a drop down that you guys see over my right shoulder. Uh, it's a little drop down that Heidi can just like unhook and then she can do like her self tapes against like a, a, a little backdrop. So if you guys know Heidi as an actress, that's where she does her self tapes and that's that setup behind me. So don't worry. Uh, there's a second bedroom, and I'm going to turn it into a studio. She's going to have no say because, you know what, for the last couple months, I've been having to put up with this. I mean, what what is this? There's, like, butterflies and fairy stuff, and you know what? I should be a little bit more gracious. She's let me <laughs> broadcast to my Internet friends for several months now, and I hope the quarantine's been going well for you guys. It's been okay. I, I was just talking to our guests, Tony and Ryan Smith. They have this new movie called Volition. It's coming out. This weekend, it's actually up for pre-order right now. Uh, if you guys are fans of like uh, Memento, Looper, those kind of like time bendy but really precognition type of flashback suspense movies, this one's one that you're going to want to pre-order and check out because it's all sorts of stuff like that. And um, I don't think that we really steered you guys wrong on Geekscape. What was the one that we told you guys about uh, a few months ago and I saw it at the drive-in and I thought it was... Amazing. If you guys, I'm blanking on this, but if you guys want, drop it in the comments and I'll throw it up there. Um, it was recommended by one of you guys. And I actually saw it at the drive-in uh, just uh, about two months ago. And I thought that one was awesome. Uh, <laughs> can't steer you guys at all right now because I can't remember the movie. But, uh, but it was fun. Uh, Volition's also fun. And I want to talk to them about it because they made it a few years ago, but they've been working on it even longer. Uh, and that had to have been like an up and down stressful situation where it's like, are we going to make our movie? Or are we not? Should we make this movie? And then, you know, uh, releasing it in the time of uh, Rona, uh, that's an added complication. So we got to talk about that stuff. Um, what, why don't we uh, play you guys the trailer? I think that'd be fun. Uh, Geekscape, if you're listening to this on the podcast, my apologies, but maybe you should go to our YouTube channel or our uh, Facebook page and watch some of these video versions of the show. I got to tell you, last week, 
I know you, you podcast listeners did not get a podcast episode, but on our YouTube and on our Facebook, we actually did something pretty moving. If you've been with me a long time, you know June's a tough month for me because there at the end is the anniversary of my older brother being killed by a drunk driver. And I took that time to, uh, this past Monday, kind of reclaim that date and say, you know what, this isn't going to be a day of sadness. This is going to be a day of celebration. And I actually streamed with like a bunch of our high school friends. And we just shared stories about my older brother. And it's actually up on our YouTube channel and up on the Geekscape Facebook page. And um, like over a thousand people watched it. And it wasn't anything to do with movies, video games, comics, or any of this stuff that we talk about. It was just like reminiscing. And I loved it. And I loved the feedback and that you guys were a part of it and you get to learn a little something. And I also liked that my mom watched it like twice and cried and then she had sent like all her family members in Mexico and then they watched it and cried. So that's good. Making family members cry. Uh, so if you guys are podcast listeners, um, that stuff's going on there. Uh, get on the video uh, on the YouTube channel and watch that. All right. I'm not going to filibuster anymore. I'm going to figure out, stick with me. This technology is new for me. I'm going to figure out how to wa- show you guys the Volition trailer. All right. Uh, this is the movie that comes out this Friday. It's up for pre-order. And again, if you guys are into like sci-fi Philip K. Dick style, no, I wouldn't say Philip K. Dick because that's you think Blade Runner when I say that, but it did win the Philip K. Dick Award for science fiction. If you guys are into that stuff, check out this trailer. I'm going to share it right now. Uh, here, I can figure this out. <laughs> I love how I'm sharing a sci-fi trailer and technology seems to elude me. Uh, here we go. Check that out. There's the trailer. There we go. I can do this. I can do this. And I'm going to play it for you guys, all right? So hang tight. I'll be right back. Here's the trailer for Volition. It's out this Friday, and you guys can pre-order it right now. We'll share the website as soon as we're back, okay? Looks pretty fun, right? Um, Again, if you guys are fans of, like, the looper, the memento, that kind of sci-fi stuff, which I know there are a lot of you guys here on Geekscape, go for it. Uh, Dude, is the is screen sharing still happening? Let's say I can hear it in my head. Anyway, uh, guys, I'm not going to delay anymore. Here comes Tony, the uh, co-writer and director. Here he is. Hey, Tony, how are you? Hey, Jonathan. Good to be with and you. His brother, producer, and co-writer of the film, Ryan. Uh, guys, we just watched the trailer. How's the movie been? How are you guys getting the reaction? The movie's kind of been in festivals and kind of working its way around for the last year or two, hasn't it? Yeah, the last year, our festival run started actually with the Philip K. Dick uh, Award and Festival in, I guess, March of 2019. So it's been a it's been a good year of, of touring around the world, and it's been just incredibly well validating and humbling to see the movie connect with audiences everywhere. You know, we took uh, some big swings, Ryan and I, with trying to to make something that was a little trickier than maybe a studio film would allow, and it's been really just amazing, you know, to be here talking to you after. Everything we went through to get this movie made. I'm sure uh, it's the pinnacle of the experience. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is this is awesome. It is, yeah. it is yeah. so good to connect. We're happy to be here. Um, yeah. so, well, talk to me because I, I this is what I love. I love doing a little bit of research on you guys, and I love talking to filmmakers because I, you know, you pick up all sorts of stuff as you guys do when you talk to filmmakers. And if you guys who are watching this and the movie looks cool. They've actually, uh, Tony and Ryan actually went and made a bunch of videos of the process of putting this movie together. And it streams all the way back. The videos don't, but the story of this movie goes back to like 1999 when Tony was in film school and was like, I kind of have an idea for a movie. This would be cool. And then slowly but surely, those things sometimes go into 
uh, the drawer. They don't come out. Uh, I, if you guys have been with us and watched uh, us talk to James Gunn at South by Southwest for Super, that was a movie that he had written. And it wasn't until he was married to Jenna Fisher. And she's like, what about that movie Super that I liked that you never intended to make? And then the next movie he does after that is Guardians of the Galaxy. So, like, it's just such a weird upside, uh, up and down when you have those ideas that just stick with you. What, why did this one hang with you for so long? And where did it come from? So it has been around for a little while, but it hasn't been, like, fully uh, formed. And I, I think that's why it was, uh, it was stuck where it was stuck for the longest time. Um, it did come to me in film school. I'd always been interested in the esoteric side of existence. You know, what is perception? Who are we? What is what is time? All those sorts, all those subjects. Um, and I stumbled upon this uh, this topic because I was always late as a teenager everywhere. But by the time I got to film school, you know, they say write what you know. So I wrote this short film about a, a scientist who develops a, a drug that makes him perceptually early. Um, and he was early in like sort of these fifteen second fixed increments, and he didn't know. Uh, how to get out of it once he was sort of stuck in it. But it didn't have any sort of depth of character or, or themes, the, the type of things that Ryan and I eventually sort of put into volition. So I, I tabled it for a long time. I just didn't, uh, I couldn't crack it in the level uh, that I wanted to. And then a few years later, I was actually feeling a little bit, uh, I guess, like stuck in my film career. Uh, I knew what I wanted to make, but I didn't know how to you know, make it. And so I remember sitting on the couch realizing that, wow, my, my actual perception, like my belief about my future is actually causing a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm mm. actually not going to get it done if I continue to think this way. And then I was like, wow, is that sort of like, that's almost like being trapped in uh, a perceptive cycle. So for a clairvoyant, for example, then to see something in the future, I started to think about my old idea about actually what a sadness it really is to know what's coming and especially then to not be able to change something. Um, so from there, I wrote a first draft. Um, it was very chronological. Um, and Ryan had been involved the whole time. I mean, I'd been talking to him about this idea since film school. And um, so I showed him the first draft and, and he liked it enough to to really want to come on board because it, it required a lot of work to get it, you know, where it's where it's at now. And he had always sort of um, been pitching me on this idea of turning the clairvoyance like in on itself, uh, which really excited me. Um, and so, you know, sort of like, I think the movie almost went on the journey of James, our protagonist. It only got piece by piece at different times of its life. And only in the end was it able to see fully what it was. So. And, and how much was Ryan a part of kind of seeing it from a different angle? Or, I mean, because, yes, he was on that path with you from the beginning. But obviously, Ryan's a culmination of all of his experiences and viewpoints and tastes. And He's maybe just to the left or to the right of how you would approach a story and crack it. How important was it to have him kind of wedge it free in a sense? Well, yeah, it's a great question. He can speak to that, but super important because the movie like literally would not be this movie without him. It was a very chronological tale of James and a lot of the same characters. And I don't want to sort of say what it was about, but same thing. Diamond Heist, he sees his own death, you know, all the same stuff, but what Ryan was sort of pushing me towards is something that I was probably really afraid to go into. And uh, it was cool. It was an amazing. That's why we collaborate. I think so. Well, isn't that crazy how it happens, especially when you do hit that kind of ceiling that, you know, not, not to, but it feels like any time in your career that you hit that sort of gra- glass feeling or glass ceiling, the thing that you want is really just on the other side of fear. And I think that goes for yeah, right. career, any path in life, what you want is literally just that leap 
on the other yeah. side of here, you just have to put yeah. your head down and go for it. And yeah. I mean, it's gotta be helpful to have a, you know, a friend <laughs> or a brother help you along yeah. the way in hell. I could do this with my brother, Paul, uh, but <laughs> yeah. maybe, you know, Paul and I have collaborated if you're a Geekscapist. But um, right. it, why don't you talk about that a bit, Ryan, and what you saw that maybe maybe Tony had a blind spot and maybe you saw it and brought your own experiences to it to kind of push it through. Well, well first of all, it's, it's ironic that you say blind spot because uh, that was actually the original title of the script <laughs> that Tony wrote. <laughs> so I think I character. saw that in one of the Vimeo uh, videos oh, okay. talking about the process of writing the thing. That's and, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, for me, I was just really intrigued all the way through with what Tony was creating. And particularly, I, I thought he had a really unique uh, angle on looking at clairvoyance and maybe the roots of what might be behind clairvoyance, uh, which I had never really seen it explored the way that uh, he was talking about it. And so, you know, we started, we'd already been collaborating on other features together, but also doing stuff on our own. And uh, we decided to, you know, join forces here. And I think it was, you know, probably just having another voice with Tony to kind of say, well, this already exists as it is, but what if we started to play with the structure more and, and kind of took even bigger risks. And um, it, it was a real puzzle for the two of us to kind of like take new, new challenges and really go for things. And, um, you know, I don't want to give away too much, but yeah, we started to play with, the actual process of clairvoyance and see if that could actually shift the structure of the film, which, uh, which was super hard, <laughs> but uh, it took us many drafts, but we finally got to the place where we were ready to shoot. Well, there are parameters though, still. And what I want the Geekscapists to pay attention to, especially you filmmakers who watch the show or listen to the show, uh, I want you guys to pay attention. I think a little bit of what, what we talk about as independent, independent filmmakers a lot on this show is that those parameters start to kind of guide you there too. Because when you watch the film Geekscape, as it comes out this Friday, um, notice the cast of characters. Notice that there are five, maybe six characters in the movie. Notice the, how they've kind of taken things and given an economic spin because a lot of times the best science fiction and the best storytelling comes out of those necessities. You want to make a sci-fi movie, but you probably can't make that Blade Runner sequel they did a few years ago, where like it was like huge and amazing, and like you know we'll we'll see when Dune comes out what he's done again with just mm -hmm. seems to be unlimited budget. You guys yeah. attach attack this thing in a very <clears throat> smart way. How much? Uh, and you guys come from pretty active filmmaking background, but it's not these kind of films. If you if you look at uh, Tony or Ryan on IMDb, like this is not the kind of stuff you guys are making for the paycheck. And right. we go back to the fear thing of you guys had to kind of really get out of your comfort zone and go for this. Was it knowing that you guys are going to kind of jump with this one and kind of let go in order to try and acquire a different style? What were some of the things that you did to empower yourselves mitigate mm -hmm. the risk like again limited locations cutting down the actors trying to figure out what the sweet spot was on a budget so that you guys could land this thing yeah i mean we faced all of that and and really the you know the film itself is actually a testament to overcoming fear you know literally james is uh paralyzed by his own fear of his death and all of us i think it's artists filmmakers you know whatever we do in life 
we have these uh, dreams of us getting up and doing the the good thing and the thing that you go to the gym, write the script. But then when you when push comes to shove and the rubber meets the road, very often we retreat in failure. So, I mean, so the film is really about that on a deeper level. Um, we, you know, we Ryan and I always talk about um, our personal work and how much it means to us. And yeah, we have a career that you know we're hired to do um, different things in the film industry, but. As far as our personal brand, um, it's very much actually always been about um, this type of filmmaking, um, you know, our short films and, and, and things like that, and certainly in the future as well. But we knew that we had to place limitations on on us if we were ever going to get this off the ground. And it got to the point where, you know, again, if you're sitting on your couch there and you're, and you're doing your day job and you know that like to go and make the movie you want to make, you might have to quit the day job. You might have to say no to some work for a couple months. All of that is like just frightening. And we had to, you know, we had to face it. I had to stop buying guitars. <laughs> I've bought a couple now. But really, it's like, what, what are you going to trade to go off and do the thing that you want to do, which is going to allow you to break through that pane of glass that you're calling a cement wall? It's just a pane of glass, but mm -hmm. it looks like a cement wall. And so um, we were willing to shoot the film for like zero dollars. You know, we actually went off and we bought a Black Magic or Mini camera. We bought a couple lights. We bought the microphones. I bought a DJI Ronin Steadicam. We were going to make this movie ourselves. Like a Florida project. Like, you guys were yeah. Just, right? Okay. Yeah. We were, we were going scary. to. Yeah. And, but it's funny, you know, that willingness almost like showed the universe that we were like ready. And then all of a sudden, like financiers were approaching us and like uh, a, a proper crew. And, you know, we brought on Byron Kaufman, who's Neil Blomkamp's um, cinematographer. And he was obviously incredibly instrumental in, in having the look be what it is. Um, and so, yeah, the limitations, I just think were really important for us. Right. I don't know if you want to just jump in here. Yeah. I, I think also when even back to the script phase, it was, you know, even from Tony's first draft, it was, yeah. well, uh, clairvoyance and kind of that cerebral sci-fi allows you to explore these bigger ideas, but have them exist in a, a world that actually is already out there. And so, you know, we picked locations that were really well lived in that. I mean, of course we had uh, Tony Dirk was our production designer, did an amazing job. Uh, but, you know, we also tried to find places that were pre-existing. We didn't build sets or anything like that. Um, and then, you know, as for that fear, I mean, there was a ton of fear for both of us uh, going into this. And, you know, a lot of times we we always thought we would have some sort of like studio or producer that would come on and uh, just take charge and let us do the creative stuff. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I, like that's I don't even know if that happens at like the big level where you're making yeah. Marvel movies. Like, it's true. You're right. I mean, right. we dream about that, and we're like, okay, we're going to do this one, then we're going to get the Spider-Man movie. You know, we're yeah. going to make a cop car, and then we're going to get the Spider-Man movie. But it's always, it's like, even at that level, everyone is, like, busting their butts to make things happen. And so we had to really put on the, our producer hats and say, okay, let's let's go out and try and raise funds. Let's go out and cast this and make it, and, you know. It from you. Or you guys don't get to cast your friends, you know what I mean? Or, like, the people you've worked with before, which is also a part... Like like getting John Cassini, who you guys had worked, who uh, Tony had worked with before in television, yep. getting him to be in the cast. Like if you don't go out and raise that those funds yourself, someone else gets the say on whether or not you get to work with John. Who Absolutely. when you go out to work that day, it's important to to trust your teammates. And if yeah. there's, I mean, 
not that you shouldn't be discovering new cast members and new collaborations, but when you show up that day and it is what day 10, day 11, yep. you want to make sure that they, if you guys find yourselves on the last hour of the shoot and you're going to have to do the 12 hour push, if you don't get it and it's like, like third and down, you got to know that John's there to throw the, to get the ball across. That's a sports metaphor. Yeah. Keep you guys, and I'm sorry. <laughs> But, I don't understand. Yeah, I get it. We've all found ourselves. I mean, as directors, we found ourselves in that position. And if you yeah. don't, if you're not the guy who raised the funds, someone else is going to call that shot. Yeah, that's actually a consideration that we were uh, that was very at the at the front of our brains the entire time because you know from the writing of the script we needed to make something that we could stand behind that we knew it was going to be risky. A studio kind of could not make this film because of the the structural uh, twists that are built in. And then we also knew that, okay, we're gonna have probably a smaller budget than not. Uh, we need people that wanna sort of be a bit of, um, a bit of a rock and roll, you know, renegade team with us. Um, and it also influenced the style of shooting. You know, Ryan and I, of course, love more lyrical camera work, but we had to just kind of get in, get our days, get out, because, um, you know, we needed twice the amount of time we had to shoot the film. And but, you guys shoot nice, uh, a lot of this stuff. Parts of the movie you guys are shooting nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Up north, yep. which gives you a little bit more time, but your days are disappearing quickly. We have six yeah. hours of nighttime, six hours of shootable yeah. darkness. You yeah. It was I'm just going to do sports. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. It was crazy, difficult. but you know, our, our days and nights definitely blended. The, the, the shooting days were actually super long. Everyone really pulled, uh, their heart and soul and poured everything they had into the film. Yeah. And yes, yeah, shooting in Vancouver in the summer um, with such short nights, it was, it was kind of a bit of a nightmare, but we made it work, you know, with, you know, shooting day yeah. for night in certain moments when we have to. Yeah. And Geekscape is again, if you're an indie filmmaker out there, like the use of experience of exteriors, that is the trade-off is you will be racing the sun, uh, yeah. but you also have probably a pretty nice location that, that, that looks like, lived in like ryan was saying but also you got to race the sun and uh sometimes it's the lighting is big sometimes the lighting is not a problem but exteriors always mm -hmm. comes down to like what <laughs> can you race that sun going sure. over the hill or oh hey it just disappears so fast yeah <laughs> and for us too you know vancouver it's like notoriously raining all the time and right. but somehow like we avoided the rain which is just unbelievable um and our it's film needs to have a consistent look so Go ahead. You guys did that. That's insane. Yes, but but June June rains a ton in Vancouver, and we of course chose to shoot in June, um, but it didn't <laughs> rain, so so we were lucky. But yeah, you're always you know up against the elements. Absolutely. We were reaching. We were researching Florida and had to like just like a southern kind of thing. It could have been Georgia. It could have been Alabama. It could have been Louisiana. Uh, and the and my producer George, who's my partner in Geekscape, brings up the the whole that month in Florida where you it's like hurricane season <laughs> and everything's right. like super cheap oh, and you can they're super cheap but you're running the risk that <laughs> every hurricane will land on your production or destroy whatever stage you're shooting on <laughs> yeah oh my god yeah you guys went crazy uh but uh, again like you guys have spent a lot of time working in Vin in vancouver you guys have that team if an emergency comes up you need somebody to to, to switch in in a crew position or something you guys have a pool to to kind of use to make sure yeah. that the wheels keep moving on this thing. And those things come up on films. What was the biggest hurdle for you guys 
where it was like, you know what, we did all the planning. And again, go to the Volition Vimeo page and see the, these diary entries of you guys putting the movie together over the last couple of years. Um, you guys were prepping, prepping, prepping. What was the big one where you guys were like, oh, we're about to lose a day or we're about, we're about to lose a chunk? <laughs> oh, man, you're you're having us revisit our trauma. We thought we could compartmentalize us away. And Welcome to Geek Street. About it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, I mean, first of all, I got to say what I did not expect. Uh, I did not expect to get really, really ill, like sick with the flu um, four days before we went to camera. Because you talk about facing fear. Maybe that sure. was it for me. My, my nerves. You I knew I had to get the And also just the exhaustion from the prep. You know, like I actually scheduled the film. My sister was our AD. Now she's uh, she's a drama teacher. So she's used to like wrangling kids. But scheduling a movie like this, uh, you know, she'd never scheduled any movie. And, and I had, and I had a kind of weird brain. So, and I knew how to, you know, at certain scenes we had to revisit in some ways. And so um, I was exhausted from the scheduling, my storyboarding and my shot listing uh, before we even shot. So that was certainly, I mean, Ron and I were literally like, what are we going to do? Like, yeah. And, and what <laughs> did we do? I just, I wrapped myself in a blanket. I had a Robert Zemeckis hat on and, um, and I, and I actually quoted Zemeckis all the time from like what he has quoted from someone where, you know, pain is temporary, film is forever. Uh, right. I'll get through this. And uh, honestly, you wouldn't, have, you wouldn't have even known I was sick on set because there's well, this like third. That, I mean, your, your energy, you wouldn't have known. But like looking oh, at him, <laughs> like, uh, I he felt looked great, like a zombie. Um, yeah. That's it, the I problem remember... of, of working with your family members. They know what you're normally like. That's right. right. They, they're right. off. They know it. I thought it was no, it great. Was, <laughs> it was crazy. I mean, we were shooting um, out in the middle of just out, out of Vancouver, like in the middle of the wilderness on a highway. And uh, Tony, yeah, he had his Zemeckis hat on, but he was like draped in a coat and he was like so sick. I mean, he, he could barely talk. And that was like early in the shoot. So we we're like, oh my God, how is this? How is he going to recover? Did you, but, guys have, uh, you guys had the bear horn ready for shooting out there? <laughs> You guys have to have yeah. that in Vancouver. You have to have. Uh, we were on Supernatural, and there was a bear horn, and sure enough, there's really? a bear up in the tree. Yikes. There was one of Bobby Singer's episodes, and there's a bear up in the tree. Got to use the bear wow. horn. Got to. Wow. Oh, everybody, cut! Hold on, we got to get rid of this thing. Yeah. Crazy. Luckily, Adrian Glenn McMoran is, uh, is is tough and very outdoorsy, so he could have wrangled the bear. We we think. Yeah. We yeah. saw. I was. I spent the this holiday weekend geekscapist in Mammoth. Uh, a friend of mine has a timeshare and. It, they're they're part of my very small pod that I've been quarantining with, and uh, we went up to Mammoth. And yesterday we were actually on a hike, and <laughs> our friend goes, "Is that a bear?" <laughs> we we two, uh, about twenty yards away. Wow! There, just wow. sitting there, slowly start making its way towards us, rummaging, and we were like, "Yeah, we should just keep moving." And so that yeah, way. it was beautiful. Yeah. I, I thought about that air horn when you started saying shooting outside <laughs> of Vancouver because that was the only other time I've seen a bear in the wild. Was right. Filming outside of Vancouver. Yeah, yeah. We didn't have we didn't have a, a bear horn. We, we should have. Um, so mm. don't tell our insurance company. <laughs> Zip. Mm. Yeah, I was about to say. I was like, well, aren't you required to <laughs> forget it? This is a this is like a gritty, low key thing. But Geekscape, if you guys go check out the film, you're not going to know that this is exactly as Tony and Ryan are describing. Something. And there's so many like really solid films. That you're like, wait, what? They use shoelaces for that? Um, yeah. Scott Stockdike, who I don't know if you geeks remember this, but when Spider-Man Three came out, Scott sat down with me. He was 
uh, Dykstra's effects supervisor, and he ended up winning an Oscar for Spidey Two, the Toby ones. And then he was he was the supervisor on two and three, and three we could go into why three is Spider-Man three. But if you guys remember, it was during the writer strike; they weren't actually allowed to touch the script, and the script wasn't what it needed to be. We all have our feelings about Spider-Man three, but he tells a story about. You guys remember uh, the guy from the 70s show was Venom. In that one. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, we're running around and we can't change the sequence because the script is uh, basically locked. We can't hire a writer to, to, to touch it because of the writer's strike. We have to shoot through it. And Sony won't give us another year. We were using fishing line for the Venom yeah. effects to pull. Yeah. Yeah, he's literally using fishing line for this whole Venom sequence of transforming into Venom. And it's just, again, like, go, 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 whatever the idea is. But from big to small, that yeah. it yeah. is, like, chewing gum and, like, <laughs> strings to put some of this yeah. together. Yeah. No, you yeah. remind me, actually, that we had so many experiences where it's, like, it reminds me of Spielberg and Jaws with, like, the shark is not working. <laughs> where, like, right. we basically had, like, you know, the blood is not working. The effect is not working. The thing is, it's... It's it's horrible and like we had like yeah. seventeen hour days and a script that was just like this monster and um, so we were same thing yeah monofilament fishing wire shoe gum whatever it took to, to it, get it, it done to get, it, Tony it seems like you do a pretty extensive storyboarding process and and then you you probably take yeah. the storyboards and you put them in some kind of a digital environment and you work things around and you set your shots and it, you do everything you basically shoot the movie twice. And then when something yeah. like that pops up, you can roll with it a little easier, but ultimately it's always ingenuity at some point. It is. And you know, the thing is, I actually, by the time I get to set, um, I don't look at my storyboards or shot lists. They've become oh, so baked yeah. in. Yeah. And I don't think, I think a lot of filmmakers work that way where I want to be prepped. I want to visit the scene as much as I can so that I can, because, you know, so many things are coming at you so fast on set. So I want to sort of have the elementary things down. And then, uh, yeah, you, I'd rather just be there and visit with my DP and, my, and the actors. I know the key frames that I need. Like, I know, like, the, the things that I absolutely need to get. And then there's sometimes just some really nice, you know, combining of shots. And so, um, but again, for this movie, it was probably weighted more towards, let's just go in like mercenaries, get what I need, move on. Um, there's a lot of practical in the movie, but every now and then there's some CGI, like, augmentation or I think there, I think I only counted yeah. two, three shots where you were like, okay, this is going to be a CGI shot that is going to have a major part of the frame CGI yeah. and it's going to care. And that's going to carry it. Is that nerve wracking? Is that something that you felt like do it? How much of that was planned? How much of that just came out of the problem solving that needed to happen in post? Because it seemed like you were leaning pretty heavily on making as practical a film as you could. Yeah. We, we were. We wanted the whole thing to be grounded and for it to be sort of timeless in a way. Um, the CGI is very minor, you know, but it does, you're right, it's when it does appear, and there's like minor CGI and I'm the not effects. Saying it's bad. I'm not, no, 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 no. Yeah, sure. yeah. yeah, but it's dramatic. Yeah, it's definitely, sure. um, we, without giving anything away with what it is, yeah, we wanted to. Uh, we wanted to feel the weight of that moment, I suppose. And so, yeah, it was a choice that we made early on. Um, and as filmmakers, you know, I can be my own worst critic like every day of the week. So I go back and forth on some 
choices. I always will. Um, I don't know but I stand by it. Well, yeah. I mean, you have, I don't, the shots that we're talking about, I don't know how else you get those shots. Yeah, exactly. Right. They have not invented exactly. those cameras yet. So yeah, that, yeah. That's like one where you're just going to have to be like, yeah, that's, yeah. How, you, that's yeah. how you get the shot. Yeah. yeah. And that's actually what uh, a couple of filmmakers said to me. They're like, you know what? Never really have a, had a camera track something like that. So we've never seen it. So maybe it's okay. And and it is, I think, is your point. Yeah. When Christopher Nolan does it next week and next month, yeah. Saturday, we're all going to be pissed. Exactly. <laughs> but, exactly. But, I mean, we can't. Yeah. We don't have access to that stuff. It's like when they yeah, just no. inventing those things. And it's like, oh, it must be nice. And then you find out that in five years, it's just what everybody exactly. uses. And you're like, right. oh, geez. Yeah. You just have to yeah. keep pushing. Um, yeah. Can we talk about the script a bit, Ryan and Tony? Uh, this is a script, and I don't want to, again, we're like piecing around, not spoiling the movie for you guys. It comes out this Friday. You can pre-order it now at volitionthemovie.com. Um, pre-order the movie. I think it's on all your streaming services. I think if you guys are spending the quarantine with playing your Xbox and your PlayStation or watching stuff, uh, you know, and streaming, you guys can watch the movie. Um, talk about writing a script where there is precognition and obviously with a precognition script, you have to think about like, Oh, can the character affect change on the future if they know the future? And then does that turn into a little bit of a time bending script? And is there an open loop or a closed loop? Are they stuck on a track or are they able to affect the future? Um, it's a can of worms and why I usually just write stupid jokes. My hair out. Yeah. It's insane. Tony and I have definitely said, like, this is the last time bender sort of thing we'll do. Although I don't think it is because we have other ideas that we're already working on. Um, yeah, that's a lie. Yeah. <laughs> it happens. Um, you put it down for a bit and you're like, oh, I got to pick it. Yeah. There's stuff in it. We have yeah. good intentions. Yeah. 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 We have. Yeah. It's just it's, it's just too fun. Um, but it was super challenging. I mean, when we were going through the the rewriting process, um, you know, the amount of uh, graphs and charts on our walls. And we really had to try and like visualize the story because it, it does interesting and weird things. And it was, uh, at certain times our, our, the writing space looked like a beautiful mind, like that room in a beautiful mind. And, um, we kept looking at each other and just saying, you have a beautiful mind. And, uh, you do. Thank you. You do too. It's beautiful. Thank you. Um, but yeah, it was, it was nuts. Uh, and there were just so many drafts. And every time you change something at the end, you've got to go and think about, okay, well, how does that shift things in the beginning? And um, it, it was that way the whole way through for like just dozens and dozens of drafts. Yeah, I think I think the, the thing that I, I heard a long time ago was like third act problems or first act problems. Yeah. And the ripple yeah. effect of like fixing something when you get to the end, and you're like, oh, no, that does not work at all. But it has to make sense. Yeah. You got to go yeah. back, and then that ripples throughout yeah. the entire script. Is like, yeah. even even well, as, yeah. as, as as your planning and outlining process is, you probably still ended up running into those things. We we did. Yeah. Go ahead, Ryan. Yeah. Oh well, no, I mean, it's just the, the process that Tony and I do as writers is we'll outline together, and so we'll have this like great plan. Um, but once we once we've got a solid plan in place, we split it down the middle. And one of us takes the first half, the other one takes the second half, and we'll actually go off on our own and write those halves ourselves. And, you know, just naturally in that process, you're coming up with new ideas and it's very organic. Um, and then we'll come back together and 
uh, actually give each other notes, but then also rewrite each other's half. So we actually swap oh, wow. sides. And that smooths it out a bit. Yeah. That makes it, a as bit. you're bringing the fluidity of having written the second act to the or second half to the first half, and that kind of smooths it out. How do you guys not kill each other? That's my question. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, honestly, yeah. you were like, oh, this is working out. I'll hire my sister now. Like, as you start to add people <laughs> that you can fire but not really get rid of, like, how do you guys not kill each other? Because my brother Paul and I just have a rule mm -hmm. that it's like, hey, man, like, uh, I tell you, you know, if I'm directing, I tell you to do something. You kind of have to do it. It kind of goes back to that. That contract I saw you guys on the video when when Tony when you when you guys were young and Ryan was the only person that you could get to do the stunts and act for you and like abuse basically yep. you had Ryan write a contract <laughs> sign a contract when he was a kid. Talk yeah, about I mean he was. Well, he was. I mean, at the time he was difficult. You know, I was a <laughs> very professional twelve-year-old director, and Ryan was a bit of a I don't know, a bit of a diva, a bit of a seven-year-old mm -hmm. know-it-all, and. Yeah. You know, he wants to be in his trailer with mommy inside the house. And, <laughs> but uh, no, we wrote basically a very, I wrote a very funny contract on some Knott's Berry Farm dinosaur paper, <laughs> which basically stipulated that Ryan would have to come out and shoot the scene anytime I wanted him to. And he couldn't go wimp and go crying to mom. And I, I mean, listen, I don't think there was coercion. I think he signed it under, right? Yeah. You know, when you're seven years old, you, you're making solid decisions about your life. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. I did, and I'm structure of this. Like, did you get a, <laughs> like a bigger sh like helping at dinner? What did you get some of his snacks? Did he bribe uh, you with any food? That's my. I it's think really I, my. I think I just got to like hang out with my older brother, which I was like very excited about. And I think Aww, I also got so to. Sweet. Um, <laughs> I also got to uh, babysit our silkworm collection at the time. Mm. So what? Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Yeah, he, he, Ryan got up to a lot of things that uh, I really put him through. Um, so thank you. But, you know, as far as us not killing each other, I just think that somehow we've arrived at a point in our lives um, where we, I mean, first of all, we're just great friends, and which is amazing. And we he's helped me through some very vulnerable spots and, and vice versa. And I think when it comes to story, we just, you know, we understand that our intentions on, on um, both of our sides are good. And that if we're if we're pitching an idea and that the other person doesn't quite get it, um, we ask them to say it, try it again. I yeah. don't quite get that. Can you say it again? And we just go deeper, and we always push for story. We mm -hmm. don't care who comes up with what. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, we have a very we have a nice. I think we have a good blend. We always talk about John and Paul from like the Beatles, the salty and the sweet, and we both take turns being the salty and the sweet. Um, but it it works out. We haven't strangled each other yet. <laughs> And as you guys, you know. uh, so it's it, it, you guys are making this movie, and you're making this movie over the course of like at what point, Tony, did you and Ryan really start getting serious about the movie? And knowing that the movie had to be independent, and that the movie was usually it was pretty much going to happen only by you guys pulling yourselves up by your own bootstraps. At, it takes a long time. Yeah, maybe it takes ten years. Maybe you guys really got serious about making it fifteen years ago. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But over the course of that time, you do start to see these other movies come out. You do start to see Memento come out. Oh, that's like the movie I thought of in film school. Or, you know, Looper comes out. You're like, damn, that's like the other time crimes comes out. And you're like, oh, damn it. And you start to see these movies. Yeah. What happens to your motivation to make the movie? And what happens to your actual story and movie as you start to start to see these similar and guys, still watch Volition, like especially if you enjoy those movies. Like, 
Yeah. No movie is identical, but as you start to see this, like, how does that fire stay lit? Or how do you weave with that stuff? It's, uh, I think it's horrifying to any artist. And I know musicians feel the same thing. They're like, oh my God, that's my, that's my riff. That's, that's the chord progression. Um, I've heard, I've heard other artists say that, you know, everyone is given the same, um, you know, barrel of bricks and then it's what you do with the bricks. Mm. And so I think what we've done with our bricks, um, I don't know if anyone's really tackled clairvoyance in the way that we have, as far as, you know, we think we've stumbled upon something that, um, can maybe, uh, reverse engineer, maybe what causes clairvoyance. And so, you know, that's encouraging because when we saw these other movies, uh, after the, the, the mild freak out that it was sort of you know, in our wheelhouse or our genre, we realized actually, no, they were different. They were completely different films dealing with uh, very different characters and, um, you know, in very different plots. So, um, but we have a lot of projects. I mean, I know Ryan can speak to it as well, where we're like, oh no, there's something, you know, something else that's coming out. I think you just got to keep going and keep digging. Um, I'm sort of like right in it right now because I've just experienced it as well, where I just saw a TV show where I'm like, oh my goodness, that's actually quite similar to something I wanted to do. Um, I get a little choppy. To... Yeah. Go ahead. Guys. Oh, I think I was going to say, I think just dig deeper. I mean, sometimes you have to table something for a little bit. But ultimately, dig deeper into what is it that is unique about your story and what's unique about you telling that story. We do talk a lot about specifics, like the things that you bring to the table and the way to connect yeah. to the audience. And uh, sometimes when I'm uh, teaching or lecturing on the topic, it's like we work in this insane art form. As we talked about two weeks ago on the last episode of Geekscapist, when, uh, that group of filmmakers, we were talking about just, uh, you know, you, you think that in your when you're making popular media, and obviously we're talking about pop culture, and it is popular culture. You think that as a as a creator, you're going to go out and you're going to cast this wide net to try and make something popular, and that is probably the biggest mistake you could possibly do because this mm-hmm. art form is, does not work like a Ford assembly line. It is you know these are we are making very specific experiences, and the tools with which that we make them have to be specific to us and we have to have that fear and the trust so we talked about a lot in this episode of thinking of knowing that you're going to land with somebody if you just stick to your guns and what resonates for you and they're going to bring to the table what resonates for them and their experiences and you never know what those things are you cannot tailor Mm -hmm. them to them you they are strangers you do not know (laughs) but yeah if you go too far you're over explaining if you don't go enough you made mm-hmm. it a weird experimental movie, <laughs> or you made something <laughs> abstract. Somehow, if you say do things just right, and obviously every movie or, or, or everything is is specific in somebody's favorite, but you just want to find that little overlap where there's yeah. that resonance between two people, and it is scary as hell, mm-hmm. you know, to do that. But that's kind of what we got to do, and the only utility, the only thing we have is our experiences so no net spear spear right i mean am i just does that make sense yeah no no, i mean go ahead right i I was just i just think that you know the one thing like all these films may come out and they may have some similar elements to what you're creating but there's no one else in the world that is you and Mm -hmm. like that is it's so cool that there's always a a fountain of originality because you are the fountain and um, the more you can 
you know, just dig deep into who you are. You can have elements that are shared because story has been around forever and um, all stories share like some key elements that, that make them a story. But, um, you know, for, for us with Volition and for the other projects that we're working on, we're always trying to tap into like, well, what is the emotional core of this for us? And uh, how does it relate to things that we've gone through? And by tapping into that, we found that you actually connect with something that's incredibly personal, but it's also entirely universal because it, it's honest and it's true. And so um, I, I think we've always gone back to that whenever we've seen films that are kind of in the zone of whatever we're working on. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the scariest it got? And now we, you guys are fully in the therapeutic mm-hmm. mode of therapeutic yeah. mode of Geekscape. Like, what is the scariest way part where you were like, you know what, this is a little too close to home, and you just had to be like, no, I'm going to push through this. There's a painful memory that led me to this imagery, or it led me to this line, or it led me to this admission that I'm about to put on screen for strangers. Mm-hmm. And it may not even be in volition, but mm-hmm. You needed it as a tool to make that connect. Does that make sense, guys? In, in the, I mean, these are our, our tools. This is what we. These are our bricks, as Tony says. Yeah. Uh, were there any that you were like, you know what? That's that's a little close, and uh, and I've got to put my head down and, and, and go through it because that's kind of what this art is. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, first of all, I fully agree with you, with both of you. I think the vulnerability that, um, that, our, that the best of, of us uh, allows is, um, is often reflected in the kind of responses that we get from our audiences. You know, if we are willing to go to those depths and those painful memories, then, and if we can somehow transcend them into the art form, I think it's an incredible um, bit of courage also, you know, for the artist. For us, you know, I can... I think we've all dealt with people passing in our lives. And um, so Volition, uh, at some points when we were cutting the film, it became very emotional for us to realize that we were actually telling the story of of healing in some ways. You know, James is someone who's wounded from the loss of his of his mom. And, um, and he has suffered from seven years old to 30, being a, a sort of a, in a state of paralysis with that wound. He's never fallen in love because he love hurts too much. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, I can just relate to so much of all of that, I suppose, you know, the people that I've lost in my life and uh, and then even seeing uh, family members and, and, and grandparents, et cetera, that have been lost and that their loss has still had an effect on their children, me being their grandchildren and how I could see this film actually, you know, roundabout way offering also a bit of healing towards them. Which, you know, if they could, yeah. a catharsis, if they can get through their own wound, their own fear. Um, so that memory came up that some of, some of those inklings were, did it become imagery? Did it become uh, a color scheme or a, a, a framing or a performance piece? Did it become something on screen at that moment? Did you take a little bit of that truth for yourself and maybe augment a performance with it? It was definitely the essence of, of James's mother. Mm-hmm. And then also James's relationship with Angela. Um, I realized at some point also during the, Pretty later on, uh, pretty late on into the process, that uh, I, in some ways, was feeling like there were parts of me that were like James. You know, I've I've been stuck in my life. I've been fearful, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and for him to be that um, vulnerable with Angela, who's mm-hmm. someone who takes life by the you know 
by the horns and just yeah, goes for things. Wherever the river flows, right, with this character, yeah. Yeah, so sort of realizing that that's actually, that was my ideal, that's someone that I needed in my life. I wish I could find that Angela. Going to those depths, I think, with with, with Magda Apinovich, she plays Angela and Adrian, I think I think in that way it got imbued into the film. Um, mm-hmm. Mission, how connected. Did it heal you from the addiction of buying guitars? <laughs> you know, Temporarily, yes. <laughs> because you put uh, all your money into a movie. Uh, no, exactly. You should see my comic book collection. It's got gaps called filmmaking in it. <laughs> like, uh, you know what? I, I need the comic book store to hold on to my comics a little longer. I'm making something. Exactly. Uh, For sure. Welcome to Geekscape. I mean, we, we get pretty serious into this talk. Uh, do you guys just want to like your favorite Star Wars movies and like rank them or something? While we're out? <laughs> yeah. It's called the Machete Order. <laughs> yeah, you know what? That's that is a good way to watch the Star Wars movies. Uh, and I, but I don't know how you fit in the JJ trilogy, or the, the Disney trilogy in there. It's just like I don't yeah. know. A long time ago, we've said it many times on Geekscape. We realized that we love the pop culture, but we love it as a prism of talking about yeah. the real stuff. And uh, welcome to the therapy of yeah, Geek. fantastic. Why we make we make this stuff. Do you guys want to list your top five time travel movies? Or no, no, I'm kidding. Uh, this movie is not <laughs> yes. about time travel. This movie is more about precognition. But um, it's time bending. I mean, it's related certainly. Yeah. It's time bending. So he sees. You know, actually, I should say very quickly. You know, something that we just were so fascinated about uh, from the beginning, as it relates to time and, and perception, the idea of a projector running a movie. You know, the reels have all the information in them, mm-hmm. but the the play lights only has that one frame of information. And so Ryan and I sort of locked into that rule. You know, what if James is the playhead, he's only seeing this, but really there's all of this world that, uh, you know, ties him in, so. I think that that, just to like really make this so serious and nobody wants to listen to this, um, (laughs) I think that's also the tool in trauma is that your pain is so acute in that moment that you don't, see the great things that were behind you or the possibility of the great things that are in front of you. You you see the acute pain that you're experiencing. And yeah, I mean, it very much will become like Plato's cave after a while where you're like, this is reality because I'm stuck in this one moment. Wow. For sure. Yeah. There's nothing else. Um, Yeah. There's always this this, this sort of saying of like, you know, be in the moment and experience the moment. But it's a great point that you don't all, sometimes you actually want to have the ability to go, I'm reflecting on the, the past because it was amazing. Or I'm, I'm looking forward to the future because I, I have optimism for what's to come next. So yeah, that's, yeah, really don't just shame us when we get on our phones, okay? Like we don't. Really, <laughs> no. Sometimes we're just, you know, sometimes the present is is really damn boring. Yeah, yeah. that's okay. I, I know what it won't be. I know what it won't be if you guys go to volitionthemovie.com and pre-order it for this weekend and watch it. I know that that yeah. won't happen. I know you guys won't be like on your phones. I know you won't be checking Twitter or uh, the Facebook. Maybe you'll be listening to Geekscape. I, that'll be okay. But don't do it during the movie. Okay. <laughs> don't allow it. Um, you did mention Robert Zemeckis, and I just gotta say, last week I saw that Roger Rabbit was on Disney Plus because oh. I was like, oh yeah, Hamilton's coming out this Friday, and I gotta, and then I saw that Roger Rabbit was the thing that I could still that I could watch, waiting for Hamilton. <laughs> that movie's airtight, perfect. I had not yeah, seen yeah. it in twenty years. Yeah, it is like an hour and a half. Every line, every action. The performance is like Bob Hoskins is uh, like yeah. a mind master. The movie is on another level. And 
I love Zemeckis. I think he's great, but holy shit. I got to see it again. It's been so long. I loved it. I loved it forever. Yeah. When I was a kid, yeah. I found myself asking if it was as, if it was better than, hold up, Back to the Future. Yeah, Yeah, really? I know. I know know it sounds insane. Perfect film. I know. Back to the Future is also a perfect film, but. Yeah. Roger Rabbit is just incredible wow and i mean obviously like what lies beneath and like those movies that are sure. like, kind of like the later zemeckis are pretty incredible but sure. i mean those guys had to have been why you guys started making movies early on right like oh yeah sure. absolutely i'm spielberg zemeckis uh we got into uh, james cameron i mean we have such a long list of movie heroes um, yeah started like, with you know we, we're, those guys. we're born in south africa so like watching american content from south africa those guys just really embodied an optimism and uh, a moral landscape that like we, we craved and uh, it was great escapism for us and, and aspirational for sure. And who, and I think, for, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was going to say like for Ryan and myself, you know, we also love the idea that cinema is more than just, just entertainment. I and mean, of course it's got to entertain, but the way it can push story ideas and that, someone like Christopher Nolan, who we consider to be sort of like, you know, the godfather of like esoteric blockbusters. He's doing mm-hmm. these massive, big thinking films, but we love the lineage of sort of Nolan and, and Kubrick and James Cameron. And there's some great filmmakers now, Mike Cahill or, um, you know, Alex Garland or Neil Blomkamp. Um, a lot of great storytelling that we, uh, we want to do that I think film can do. Yeah, the ex- Ex Machina, I thought, was the best movie that came out that year that I was here yeah. that, that was on another Incredible. level. And you know, here on Geekscape, we definitely wanted Alice Garland's sequels to Dread. Like, we wanted him to write some more Judge Dread movies because we Absolutely. thought that was awesome. Uh, so, I mean, we don't just get totally heady. Sometimes we just want to go up a building yeah. and, and just blow shit up. into <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that. Yeah. <laughs> you guys think it may be like little less technical on the next movie maybe a little more like a, a through line and running gun or something some maybe maybe a nice uh, musical comedy in your future <laughs> possibly um i mean yeah, should we I do mean, our dance routine now should we do our dance routine now yeah, yeah. i mean quarantine's fucked it all up so you guys can do whatever the hell yeah. you want we're not really well. gonna make a movie that doesn't have puppets in it anytime soon that's right <laughs> <laughs> no we have a bunch of ideas that we're working on but yeah definitely um you know, Volition was so clockworky in in its making that we're hoping to, uh, you know, do something that maybe doesn't have all those elements, but it's still going to be grounded, character based, and um, playing with some some headier ideas because that's just where we tend to go. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's two plus years on one of these things. You only get 70, 80, 90 if you're super healthy. Uh, you gotta really economize how you're spending the years on the planet, and it's gotta be it's gotta be a little bit more than, you know, it kind of has to scratch a lot of internal itches for you as a filmmaker. Yeah. Mind, you know, again, why we don't just come on Geekscape and just start talking about why we think movies suck because that helps nobody. And there's an mm. entire internet out there if you want that kind of doom scrolling content <laughs> where he's just like, oh, this stinks. That's right. it's just. <laughs> It's pointless. Guys, thank you yeah. for coming on the show. Like, Thank you for being here. Uh, Geekscape, just Volition the Movie is where you're going to find some information. That's a .com, volitionthemovie.com. Uh, you can pre-order it, probably on any of those devices you've been using to get through quarantine and streaming. 
and I want you guys to go and support Tony and Ryan and, and figure that one out and just watch the movie this weekend. Have fun. Um, anything you guys want to add? Well, we're just very grateful, honestly. Like it is, it's an amazing thing to have the film get out there, and it's our first time experiencing any of this. So, uh, we just want to thank you and just thank our audience. And uh, you know, we hope they uh, have a, a an interesting time watching it, not just once, but hopefully twice, to see everything that needs to be seen in the film. Well, uh, I don't. Yeah, and oh, go ahead. I just want to. I just want to say that you know, please also there, there there is stuff to talk about in the film, and so you know, we're on Twitter. Uh, at Tony Dean Smith and I'm at Ryan Warren Smith and we would we'd love to connect because uh, you know it's that's what it's been like at the festival circuit is like actually chatting with this community so we, we'd love to continue that and that is the last festival circuit we're going to get for like the la uh, next three years <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know what? Yeah. Like, well. social media because like yeah. the festival circuit is it really does energize you as a filmmaker and you're like oh great i wasn't just making something in a vacuum you know what i mean like it, it is True. to i mean when you're making it and so so few movies get a chance to just have a, become a hit like it's so hard guys and and yeah. i commend everybody who comes on this show um and again why the geeks campus need to help you know and, and go check out volition um the festival circuit and just interacting with human beings something we yeah. haven't in months is such a reward for so much of this. Uh, speaking of digital uh, connections, Rick, though, on YouTube just said, I predict an unexpected twist in the movie to explain the clairvoyance. Halfway through, maybe a naked demon shows up. No, 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 no. He then adds, where's That's the after party? Listen, you know what? The internet it's, is both a blessing and a curse. Yeah, it's someone <laughs> naked. It's not a lemon, though. It's not a lemon. You know what? You have to go and pre-order the movie and find out, Rick, though. I think mm -hmm. that's how we got to go. Um, guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. The door is open whenever you guys want. Go make some more movies so we can have you guys back on. We'll figure out how to make them in quarantine. I think you guys are on the right track. Small cast, limited locations. Yeah. Steal, some little, steal some stuff. Exactly. <laughs> and just yeah, what we gotta do. Because yeah. we got to go back to work and we got to keep making things. Yeah. Well, this isn't nice. <laughs> I, I, it looks really nice. Yeah, I like what she's done, actually. Nice. <laughs> yeah, keep but thanks for having us. Of course. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan, for having us. And yeah, again, just, you. you know, we encourage all the filmmakers out there to go out there and make their make their art and push through. Whatever you guys do. Geekscape is awesome. It comes out this weekend. Pre-order it. If you're listening on the podcast a couple days late, go back and watch the movie. Uh, you know, hang out. Check it out. Uh, it's been good to talk to filmmakers again on the show because we've been so socially minded. We've just been talking serious issues, and now we're talking yeah. art and filmmaking. And that's what you're going to get on Geekscape. If this is your first Geekscape, subscribe, share it with your friends, tell people about it, leave a review on iTunes, do all that stuff that'll help us out. Uh, I think I've got a, uh, a video game-centric episode coming up next uh, with somebody who's making like the ultimate guide to the NES, which, you know, that's a lot of our first game systems, so that'll be a good episode. Yeah. Uh, but Ryan, Tony... Good luck with the rest of the movie. I'm going to drop you guys. Um, awesome. And we'll see you guys in the next one. Okay. Geeks gave us. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And again, like I said, share it with your friends. Leave a great iTunes review if you enjoyed the show. And just share Geekscape. And I love you guys. And if you guys make art, make it with intention and don't hate, create. You can take that energy. You can put it towards making something. And the world suddenly gets a little bit better. Okay. It's funny how that works. Love you guys. And we'll see you on the next one. Peace. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.